0: Good morning. Would you open up your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, and we'll start reading in verse 33. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 33 is where we'll begin here in just a moment. Thank you for being here, especially those who are visiting. We're grateful that you've come our way. If I ask you the top five things that should fill the Christian heart, almost everyone, Christian or not, would have love on that list, and that would be right. Love, I would suggest, should be first on that list. And that's what Jesus came and taught as well. In in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is in in the midst of a number of controversies, uh, debates, discussions, we might call them, between some of the leading religious people of his day and himself. And in verse 33 it says, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching, his teaching in responding to the Sadducees. But then in verse 34, the Pharisees come. And when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Another way of putting it, if we're looking for the top five things that are in a Christian's heart, number one should be love, and number two should be love, right? Love is what we should have in our hearts as Christians. But what if I were to say hate? Does hate have a place in the heart of a Christian? Well, as good Bible students, you would answer correctly that if we love God and if we love others and if we love ourselves, then we have to love ourselves and others and God enough to hate sin, right? Sin is something that we have to hate. And, and we have a number of, of passages in our Bible that tell us that. Romans 12 and verse 9. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, in talking about his own sin, the Apostle Paul said, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice. But what I hate, this sin that I hate so much that I do. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6, when Jesus is speaking to these seven churches of Asia, he's telling them things that are going well in these churches and things that he doesn't like in these churches. And in Revelation 2 and verse 6, he says, but this you have, this is a good thing, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, some false teachers in that time who claimed to be Christians, which I also hate. Not that you hate the Nicolaitans, but you hate their deeds. You hate this false teaching Because it's sinful and it leads to sin. And even if we think about Psalm 97 and verse 10, lots of places in the Old Testament where we could illustrate this. Oh, you who love the Lord. That's us. We love God. That's what's in our heart. Hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. We know that if love is in our hearts as Christians, godly love, then hate has to be there too in the form of hatred of sin. Um, Agreed? That was what this sermon was in its infancy. Many months ago when I started and I put this down on the list of things I wanted to preach on, love and hate in the heart of a Christian, this was the sermon I was going to preach and I did it in three and a half minutes. Not bad, right? But as I studied this idea and I went through the New Testament and looked at all of the times Jesus and others used this word for hatred, but but especially focusing on Jesus May I suggest that there's another sense in which we should have hate in our heart? Not, not specifically hate, but hate in terms of its comparison to our love. Love God. But to do that, like it or not, we're going to have to hate some things in comparison to our love that we have for God. Turn if you would to Luke chapter fourteen. Luke chapter fourteen. If you want to mark your spot there, that's the passage to which we will return a couple of times for the outline of our lesson. Luke chapter fourteen. And let's begin reading. Um, let's begin reading in verse twenty-five. Luke fourteen in verse twenty-five. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned to them and said to them, Great multitudes, you you see this? You see all these people following Jesus. And he says to them, If anyone, he has to raise his voice a little bit. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish." It invokes all sorts of strong emotions. And it's supposed to. That's why Jesus used that word. Jesus is trying to communicate to us in the most extreme way possible what our attitude toward God is supposed to be. What our love to God is. Is supposed to look like in terms of this comparison and it's not a comparison between love and greater love that's that's the reality he's using the hyperbole of greater love and hate that kind of difference to describe our love for God um, think about it this way uh, I love sports you know that I love sports but I love some sports more than others right um, the US Open of tennis is going on right now I love tennis do you know that about me um, I do, I mean, playing tennis is fun, watching tennis is fun, what's not to love? I, I don't play tennis anymore, I don't watch tennis anymore, and so maybe you say in response, well, Reagan, you really just like tennis, and, and maybe that's true, maybe I like tennis, but, but I like tennis a lot, tennis is great, but I love what? What? I love golf. There it was. Um, Jeremy, look it up. How many tennis illustrations have I used in my preaching career here? Um, not very many. How many golf ili- no, don't look that up, right? So I love golf. I, I love tennis, but I love golf. That is not the comparison that Jesus wants to make. Um, I hate. Anybody in here ever had food poisoning? I hate food poisoning, OK? Uh, I had a discussion with this. We compared notes with someone just yesterday, our experiences with food poisoning. Anybody who's been through that? I hate that. I hate that. And, and so what Jesus is saying here is the comparison is not tennis and golf. The comparison is golf and food poisoning. Something that you love, compared to something that you hate, that has to be how much more we love God. I love God more. Than anything else. I think I can really honestly say that about myself. But do I love God this much more? Tennis and golf? Or do I love God this much more than anything else? Jesus says to be my disciple. Your love for me has to be this much more. And maybe that's not something that happens right away or overnight. But if we're going to continue in this journey of being a Christian and following God, that's where we have to get. And obviously, we don't literally hate anyone. But such is our love for God, it is as if we do in comparison to our love for Him. That's the gap. And this is the most extreme comparison Jesus could make to tell us You've got to love me more. Love and hate to show how much your love for me must be. Um, James Edwards, in his commentary, I like the way he puts this. He says, coming to Jesus means acknowledging Jesus as the preeminent relationship in one's life, whose costly mission determines the way of one's life, and whose presence takes precedent over all things in life. And Jesus tells us in this passage in Luke chapter 14 that we must love him more and we must love him more in three areas. We have to love God more than things. We have to love God more than others. And we have to love God more than ourselves. And so we love God more than any things. There in verse 33, our uh, last scripture uh, from this reading. So likewise... Whoever of you who who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now that word forsake there is is pretty close to that idea of of hatred, right? We don't tend to abandon things that we value and love above all else. But Jesus used this same comparison of hate in, in another passage that more explicitly talks about these things Don't you love it when a preacher uses such general terms, things? Well, things, right? We turn back over to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 and talking about the things of this earth, things like money and possessions, things that can be taken from us where thieves break in and steal, our treasures in this life. Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus says you have to hate one, you have to despise one, you have to have total loyalty in terms of who you are and your relationship with me. Uh, anybody in here ever worked two jobs? multiple jobs yeah Um, I've done that earlier in my life a number of different times and so in order to work those two jobs what Jesus is saying is I loved one of my bosses and I hated the other is that the way it works no Jesus is using a comparison here you have to have total loyalty total devotion if you want to be my disciple if you want to follow after me and so you cannot serve God and mammon This idea of our physical riches, our physical lives, and the things of this life. Whether it's money, or pleasure, or possessions, or power, whatever. If we love anything more than God, we don't really love Him. We don't really love Him the way He demands. And usually, um, this kind of extreme devotion might be unhealthy. If we love our work, for example, so much, it's as if we hate everything and everyone else, then we're clearly out of balance in our life. We would call that obsession, right? Or you're a workaholic. If we love things or money and possessions to such a degree, it's as if we hate all else, we would call it greed or or materialism. But the amazing thing is it doesn't apply to God. We love him so much that it becomes all-consuming. It is as if we hate everything else. And yet it's not just okay if I still love some things. Instead, my love for God equips me to love those things more and to love those things in the right way. Not with the same kind of love or the same degree of love, of course, but I can still love things in this life and love those things rightly and more if I love God this much more. Uh, We were walking around at the mall or somewhere, and and you know how there's always like songs on the radio playing in these places? Um, uh, Well, there was a country song that was on, whatever store or whatever where we were had a country song on, and... Uh, I've not gone back and listened to the whole thing, but I actually laughed out loud when I heard this the first time. Maybe you've heard it. Uh, The lyric went this way. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. It could buy me a truck to pull it, right? Um, I've known people in my life who have a boat and a truck to pull it and a lake to go to and lots of fun while they're there They're just kind of miserable in their life. And maybe this is maybe this is too abstract, but you know who's really equipped to enjoy a boat and a truck to pull it? A Christian. Because a Christian puts those things in the proper place. That this is not all consuming, that this is not everything that life is about. But it is something that I can enjoy right now in this moment. And for the Christian, we can look at everything through that lens because we love God this much. And all these other things, they're nice and they're good and they're in their proper place. I can enjoy being out in God's creation. I can enjoy a good meal or a great book or a job well done, a round of golf with friends, a victory in sports, a fresh-cut lawn, a vacation... But I can enjoy those things as a Christian with perspective and contentment and expectation that these things are not the be-all and end-all of the thing that I love. Instead, they are just a small taste of a greater satisfaction that I find in Jesus Christ. In and of themselves, as we're studying in the book of Ecclesiastes, all of those things are vanity and striving after the wind. But with God, even those things, the things of life... Find their proper meaning and their fullest fulfillment. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes for just a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 18. Our memory verse that was, that was read for our scripture reading this morning comes from the end of Ecclesiastes. The conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. But there is wisdom to be found in this book earlier. And one of the uh, pieces of advice that Solomon gives is found in verse 18 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is a heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and given him power to eat of it, to enjoy it, we might say, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this, this is a gift from God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. This is not where we dwell, but they are things that we can enjoy. But we hate them. We hate those things in comparison to how much we love God. So we have to love God more than things, but if we turn back to our passage in Luke, we see that it's not just that we love God more than things. We must also love God more than any others. In verse 26, he says, "...if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple." Um, Again, this is not the idea of ill will, that we have ill will toward these other relationships in our lives. Instead, it's the idea that's found there in the parallel account in Matthew chapter 10. To be more precise, this is probably a different occasion where Jesus is teaching the same thing. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's the idea that we love God more than all of these other relationships. But again, the gap is it is as if we hate these others. Such is our love for God. That's how far in first place God is in our lives. Um, I don't know about you. It probably depends on the way you were brought up. But I'm very liberal and genuine with saying I love you. I called my dad on his birthday last week, and I told him in that phone call, I love you. But that wasn't some like special occasion, you know, I choked the words out because it's his birthday and I'm being sentimental. You know the way I end every phone call with my dad? I love you, right? And I do. I love my father and my mother. I love you, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love my wife. I love my children. And yes, I love those who are not Christians. And maybe especially I want to show my love to them, maybe to you as a reflection of Christ's love. But I tell you that I love God much, much more. I should love God much, much more. And maybe that's hard for others in our lives to swallow, and there have been some Christians who have been given the ultimatum from family members. It's either me or Jesus. Well, they don't put it in those ways. It's me or the church. It's me or Christianity, whatever. But you must choose. We all must choose. And it's, it's an unfair choice when our family members come to us in that sort of way. But the choice, the choice is clear. The choice is Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about that. If those may be asking us to make that choice, if they would embrace and accept our commitment to Christ above all else, then they would see a greater love from us than ever before. Because loving God equips me to love others in the way that I should. If I truly understand what it is for Jesus to love me and me to love in return, I can understand what Jesus means when he says that I need to love others as he has loved me. And the kind of love that I can show to my father and my mother and my wife and my children, the kind of love that I can show when I understand and comprehend Jesus' love a little bit better, That love is powerful, and that love is pure. I can love others better if I love God this much more. I should love God first, but obviously God makes clear that I still love others. What's the the second commandment? Uh, We read in Matthew 22, love love God all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor, right? I, I I love others. And sometimes, maybe as human beings, we take this, uh, this too far, but, but we should have a great capacity to love all people because God loves all people, including me, enough for Jesus to die on the cross. I love those that my loved ones love, right? If my loved one loves you, well, I'm obviously going to have a, a greater acceptance of you because of that relationship, God loves everyone. So that means that I should love them too. My number one motivation for loving others is my love for God. And our love for others is a reflection of his love for others. So I need to love God more than things. I need to love God more than others. And I need to love God more even than myself. Verse 26 again. He lists all of these people. If you do not hate father and mother and so forth. Yes. And his own life also... He cannot be my disciple. My will is supposed to be subject to Jesus' will, period, in word, in deed, in doctrine, in everything. And maybe it's a little easier for others to swallow if they really truly see this in us. It's not just that I love God this much more than you, sorry, sorry. I also love God this much more than me. You know, don't take it personally that I love God more. I love God more than I love myself. But again, um, I should still love myself, shouldn't I? Maybe not in the, the self-help sort of way that's out there in the world, but in a biblical way, I should. Again, what is the second commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we can take that too far as well. Um, Stephanie and I joke sometimes, um, some people should really, really, really know how to love their neighbors. Really know how to love their neighbors based on how much they love themselves. And and that's funny, but it's not really true. Because someone who loves themselves like that, Someone who has this self-centered, selfish, self-serving love of self, they won't love others. They won't love others. And the fact of the matter is, they don't even love themselves as purely as a Christian loves themselves. As a Christian, I love myself because because I have an appreciation of self and self-worth that is seen through the eyes of God. And God loves me more than I could ever love myself. I see my flaws, I see my shortcomings, I see my failures. And God sees them too. And yet he still loved me enough to give me his son. He still loves me enough that I am his inheritance. And he wants to bring me to himself in heaven someday. So how do we widen this gap? Maybe I love God more. Maybe, like me, I love God more, but, but these other things are too close, too close in second place, and I want to widen the gap where I love God way more. Well, I did my hands like this, right? And I think a lot of times that's the way we think. Well, i got to just love these other things less. Um, I wish I had longer arms. I think to do that, what we have to do is we have to love God more. It's okay to love these things. We've demonstrated that from Scripture. It's okay to love others It's okay to love self, but we need to love God more. It's not by loving these other things less per se, it's by loving God more. And the more we love God, the more he is the priority in our lives, the more every other one of these loves, love of things, love of others, love of self, find their proper place in this list of priority. Okay, Um, I've not preached this lesson. Number one, because it turned into a totally different lesson. Um, but then I was stuck here for a long time. What do I want you to take from this lesson? I got the catchy title. You know, what, what, what's involved in making a sermon? I got a catchy title, love and hate. Ooh, what are we doing? I, I've got, you know, scriptural analysis of the text. We got a text here in Luke 14. We went through the text and talked about what Jesus said. That's good. So what? Who cares? What are you supposed to do with this information that we've talked about this morning? I want to go back to that quote that we used from uh, James Edwards. Um, He emphasizes a couple of things here. The preeminence of this relationship with Jesus in one's life. He's got to be first, love him more. And the precedent that he takes over all other things in life. That's what we've talked about, right? And that's where, where Jesus is. He is the one who is preeminent. He's the one who takes precedence. But in between those two things, Jesus Jesus calls us to live our lives by doing two things in the text. And, and I think that's captured well here. Whose costly mission determines the way of one's life. Well, that's where we live, right? I love God more than all of these things. So what about the way of my life? How is that changed? Well, it's changed by doing two things that we see back there in the text of Luke 14 that we read. The first is, we've got to count the cost. Look at your life. How would your life be different if you loved God so much that it was as if you hated everything else in comparison? Would it be different? I hope not. I hope that's where you are. But I look at my life and I say, you know what? There would be some things... There would be some things that, would, that were different if I love God a lot more instead of just a little bit more. Are you willing to live your life like that? Well, that is what's required. You cannot be his disciple without that. And This isn't a hobby when we talk about Christianity. It's a life. It isn't a part of your life. It is your life. And so we should be constantly counting the cost throughout our day. Is this action, is this decision, is this attitude reflective of a heart that loves Christ more than anything else? And so when you walk through those doors, what I'm asking you to do this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow and this week is count the cost. And then secondly, Jesus says that we got to bear... Our cross and come after him and so I encourage you to bear your cross and come after Jesus bearing a cross is something unique and specific to Christianity this metaphorical cross you know a literal cross was something unique and specific to to Roman execution but for us as Christians bearing a cross doesn't just mean be a good person you can be a good person without being a Christian it doesn't just mean be patient in hard times you know this is just my cross to bear Uh, Someone who isn't a Christian can do that. It means doing what Christ would have you to do no matter what in every situation. Count the cost. Are you willing to take a cross to follow Jesus? Crucifying yourself daily. Putting to death the old man of sin with his passions and desires and following Jesus, his pattern of life. Fulfilling my purpose in the plan of God. That's what Jesus had to do in taking his cross. He bore his cross and and so I want to fulfill my purpose in God's plan too by taking my cross. And how much easier is that to do? How much easier is it to bear our cross and follow after Jesus if he is the one that we love so much, so much, it is as if we hate everything else in comparison. I guess what I want you to take with you is, I want this this week to be different, you know? Take your cross, take up your cross this week to put Christ first in everything, in everything. I'm going to try that. Will you try that with me? That I'm going to put Christ first in everything because I want to love him this much more. And just see, just see, if you do that, if you don't love your father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters more and better because you do. And just see, if you don't enjoy all the things that you have in this life more because you do. And just see, if you aren't filled with more self-worth in your own life, Because you love Jesus that much more. Because the Christian heart, the Christian heart is filled with love. It is filled with love for him. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I hope your heart is filled with love for Christ because he loves you. He loves you more than than I can express and he wants to save you if you'll come to him on his terms, putting Christ on in baptism to take up your cross and follow after him. If you're already a Christian and you realize that maybe you're loving other things more than Christ and, and they've come into the way of your love for him, well, crucify crucify those things. And you can do that in repentance, even this morning, or if you just need the prayers uh, of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're here for you. Come now while together we stand and while we sing.